spouse and mama living an untraditional life in the mainstream society. I travel the world with our children and try to raise eco-conscious global citizens along the way. Join me for authentic conversation, adventure, and of course, coffee. Welcome to the Wild Bradbury Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about acclimating and planning for diet changes and the cost of living in food when you go abroad. And I've dubbed this an important one because my ultimate goal is to encourage more parents to travel farther and wider with their children so that you can experience the world together. And with that, comes the cost of food. Now, with that being said, the cost of food here in the U.S. (laughs) differs drastically all the time, depending upon your location. Um, In North Carolina, where we were previously stationed, we could get everything at one store and didn't have to compare prices too much because it was all roughly within pennies of each other. The quality was about the same. It was really a non-issue. Well, the second we got to California, it became a four-store ordeal and ad hunting and produce shopping separately from the rest of the groceries and looking for the best deal. And I don't think I've ever studied unit prices as much as I have since we arrived here in California. So it's a big deal. Food costs money. And given that we're preparing to have our fourth child... It's an ongoing concern of mine um, to keep the cost of food down as much as I can while keeping it healthy and well-balanced. And when you go abroad, as a mother specifically, or whoever does the main grocery shopping and cooking in your home, this is a huge logistical nightmare. (laughs) And it doesn't doesn't have to be, but it's, it's going to be for a little while regardless because you have to get used to shopping somewhere else. Now, right this second, my kids probably eat triple what they ate when I was in Europe in fall of 2018. I would say easily triple. Now, what that would mean today, if I were to jump back over the pond tomorrow, and try to feed them and sustain them at a grocery store or a market, um, it would be that I would probably have to go grocery shopping every two days, okay? Which isn't really an issue. It's just logistically challenging. So, So hear me out. For example, here, I'm struggling to go between the commissary, which is our on-base grocery store, um, which is not necessarily cheaper, but the market doesn't flex much inside the commissary. I'm struggling to go between there, buying in bulk at Costco, and buying really nice affordable produce at Sprouts, which is down the street. Now, that's three different places, ideally with a newborn soon, all to belly happening, 
in this video up in here, but it's, it's really not feasible. Okay. And most people nowadays seem to order things off of Amazon or do whatever, Amazon refrigerator or something, whatever it is, or grocery store pickup. And for the longest time, it's been very, very important to me personally to take my kids to stores so that they learn how to behave appropriately in a store, shop for themselves, help me make pricing decisions, help them better understand how the grocery budget is structured, why we can't get this this time, but I said yes two weeks ago, and how that works, because there is, there's a method to the madness, as so many homemakers know. Well, when you are abroad, the odds of having more than one brand to choose from barely exists. It doesn't exist outside of cheese, really. And in many aspects, the cheese is a very standard price, you know, so this and that brand of goat cheese is the same as this brand of goat cheese, and this feta is the same as that feta price-wise. It's all about taste at that point. And Americanized things that may be staple foods in your home, the biggest ones I can think of are things like peanut butter, cereals, granola bars. You know, like if your kids are snackers, you are so screwed. <laughs> Snacking outside of fruit is not something that happens abroad. Now, I will say that I've seen many, many um, nor Northern European people, especially the Netherlands, Amsterdam, Denmark, lots of fruit snacks and nut snacks, which is fabulous. And that is readily available everywhere. But if your child is a finicky eater, and you are trying to go abroad I'm telling you now to, t you know, take the six months prior to whatever trip you're planning and try to integrate more things into their diet because you're going to get stuck in a pickle. Pickles. Those don't exist in most places in Europe either. <coughs> so it's very interesting. Um, that part was very, very interesting. When I was in Europe, I started out the trip with a four-year-old a five-year-old and a 14-month-old or 15-month-old. And luckily the 15-month-old was primarily breastfed and would eat anything at that time. Now he's my pickiest eater. And the four-year-old had horrific gluten intolerant issues here in the U.S. Now those issues, we test him for celiac, da 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 da, da. Um, it was hard to tell if it was gluten specifically or a preservative in certain glutens. And it, it presented as mostly a preservative issue. So I started to, I basically started making everything from home. Like if we were going to eat grains, it was going to be homemade, um, which has changed our home life significantly as far as my homemaking abilities go. But I was very concerned about taking him to Europe. And I shouldn't have been, and I'll tell you why in a second. And then the oldest one is a big vegetable and meat eater. So he was probably okay, but he doesn't like pasta. And that's the most affordable thing to make at any given time anywhere in the world, pasta. So affordable. So I was in kind of a touchy situation where I was going to be playing roulette with whatever supermarket I found. And everywhere that I stayed, whether it was a hostel or an Airbnb or a friend's couch or whatever, 
needed to be within walking distance of a grocery store because I was going to be frequenting frequenting it regularly, at least every 48 to 72 hours. Now, it only took me two grocery store trips to realize that I needed a granny cart, you know, those uh, those metal carts that you, drag, <laughs> you see elderly women dragging along to markets. Uh, those are a lifesaver. If you're intending on doing long stays abroad, just go ahead and buy yourself one with heavy rubber wheels. It will be a game changer for you if you're feeding more than two or three of you at a time, which will exceed the capacity of whatever backpack knapsack you're carrying. We would get to the grocery store and I, my children would just really, really want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right? That seemed like the most logical thing to them that we would take on our little field trips and excursions to go see sites and go see museums. We could affordably eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the sidewalk because that's what they're accustomed to. That's my, I can feed everyone for 33 cents lunch if it's, if necessary. Peanut butter is not a staple and it's not common and it's I won't say it's impossible to find, um, but if you find it, you will pay for it and you will get, you know, three measly ounces <laughs> of peanut butter. So Europeans have anybody, anybody, Nutella, they have Nutella. So my children grew accustomed to chocolate sandwiches, as they called them, because Nutella was the most affordable way to feed them a quick lunch, snack, whatever. Uh, quickly. Anytime you eat out with children that know how to eat well, you end up spending a small fortune. And that was not an option. Not on the regular, we would pick one day one lunch per week, that we would go pick an open air cafe, and have lunch and do our schoolwork outside at that cafe. And that worked beautifully for us. But it meant that I was cooking all the other meals which I would be in the U.S. anyway, right? Remember, if you're home and the budget's really important and you're not entering a vacation with the vacation mindset, you're entering it with the live like a local mindset, live within my means mindset, then you're cooking because cooking is more affordable than eating out once you start having children that eat. So that it didn't complicate things, but it, it made logistics a um, an ongoing issue, the logistics of food. Now, there's certain places in Europe and South America, Central America, where you can get very affordable produce for very little. Uh, Greece loves their markets, their produce street markets. Mexico has spectacular produce markets. That is the most affordable way to feed your family abroad. Fruits and vegetables are affordable. And in the U.S., they can be affordable too if you shop hard enough, which is why I have to go sprouts to get produce. But if you have a child with a very picky appetite or a child with some sort of special dietary restriction, you need to start planning in, in advance, far in advance, because, you know, if they only eat one type of bean, 
or they're only not allergic to one type of bread, or you've been buying Vans gluten-free waffles and they eat them every day, never fail, you are going to belly flop. And it's, it's going to suck the life out of the experience for you because grocery stores are one of my favorite places to immerse myself in culturally. You know, it's not every day, especially here in the U.S., that you can walk into a store and see lamb heads or cow tongue or <laughs> Nutella by the half gallon or Coca-Cola with real sugar cane sugar in it or what have you. And it's a cultural experience you don't want to miss out on. You also do not have the luxury of packing extra weight in food. The only time I will recommend that is if you're going somewhere that has extreme diet differences like India. I packed tons of trail mix. Um, if you were going somewhere in Africa or, or Southern Asia where you know for a fact food will be ex- excessively flavorful or spicy or challenging to eat or unclean or what have you and you, you know that you need a protein snack or what ha- whatever to get yourself through the day. <clears throat> That's the only time I recommend allotting any of your backpack weight or airplane weight to food. But but you do need a plan. Okay. So Rhodes, our second son, was four when we went to Europe. And this child would have essentially an inflamed bowel, IBS sort of symptoms every time he put something gluten-based in his mouth. Uh, and I started to, to do a whole lot of trial and error and testing in the kitchen with what actually triggered it. And those triggers seemed to, seemed to not change, but there was a wide array, and then there was sometimes that it didn't bother him at all. And so my control, the control variable in this aspect was that I could make it at home and it probably wasn't going to bother him. Okay. Um, I would say there was probably a 75% chance that it wouldn't bother him. Now, if he ate it out of the house at a birthday party or just straight from the grocery store or at someone else's home, it, there was about the same percentage that it was going to give him diarrhea. It was a pretty much guarantee. And if that reaction was severe enough, that diarrhea would last for two or three days. It would just trigger this intense bowel inflammation that we just could not figure out. So going to Europe, my concern was, I'm going to be in Europe surrounded by bakeries. I love bread. Pasta is a very affordable thing to feed the family once or twice a week abroad if you're trying to cut costs. How am I going to feed Rhodes? What am I going to feed this child that's not going to make him sick? And then I got there, and the very first night, he has this humongous bowl of spaghetti in Greece. (laughs) And I have a great picture of it that I will find and attach to the blog for this podcast. He has this big bowl of pasta. And I remember sitting across the table from him thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know where the closest grocery store is yet. I don't know where to buy more toilet paper. I don't know where to buy more baby wipes. 
I don't know if they charge for bathrooms here because we had just come from northern parts of Europe and Mexico where they charge you to use the public restrooms just to make sure that you, you know, aren't shooting up in the bathroom or whatever. And I was, I was concerned. I remember vividly staring at him and he was just in absolute pasta carb heaven. And I was just cringing on the inside. That child had one issue in eight months and it had nothing to do with carbs or pasta or gluten or breads or anything grain related because, and this is what I've decided post-trip, because GMOs are banned in Europe. So this reaction was not gluten. This reaction was some sort of preservative chemical sprayed on most of our grain products here in the U.S., which I will say is a huge relief because those are very easily avoidable at certain grocery stores. Now, what I'll also say is that since coming home, he has had plenty of opportunities to eat nasty white bread at someone, you know, whatever, out and about lunch, whatever. He's had plenty of opportunities to react, and he hasn't. So it seems that GMO-free wheat products out of Europe have healed Rhodes' gut issues. Woohoo! I really didn't think we were going to outgrow that one. Now you're probably wondering the one time that he did have this huge reaction was because of apples. I mean, they're a natural laxative anyway. Apple juice, applesauce, apples in general, all the fiber in apples. But they ate, but they drank, um, oh, it's called apple, apple, apple floffin, apple something. Anyway, it was an apple and elderberry juice, children's wine in Austria. And he got sick for like three days. So now he thinks he's allergic to apples. Even though he eats probably three apples a week, um, he he's convinced that he's allergic to apple juice specifically, which is fine with me because I don't buy it anyway, so he doesn't need it. But you need to know going into situations that require long stay that your dietary restrictions may change. If you're allergic to something, there's hope that you may not be. If you absolutely cannot stand the taste of something in the U.S., there's a great chance that you'll love it abroad. And I struggle with the reverse of that. Strawberries taste terrible to me in the U.S. because I've had strawberries in other parts of the world that were phenomenal. So the ones here are essentially tasteless and do me nothing. But you will experience food in a totally different light. And if you're naturally a foodie, like I am, where you're like, you tie food into relationships and friendships and cultural exchanges and communication exchanges and people gather around food and that part aspect of food brings you great joy and thus motivates you to bake or cook more, you are going to love traveling if no, for no other reason than the food itself. The food speaks volumes about the history of peoples all over the world, ours too. And it's very important to use food as an avenue to get to know a culture 
and a society better. So I don't want you to miss out on that because you're stunned by the prices or shocked by the dead octopus hanging from wherever drying in the supermarket. Those things are part of their culture and thus a huge portion of what they deem important, okay? And you're going to see it everywhere. You're going to see fresh fish everywhere, fish heads everywhere, lamb head, pig feet, you name it. You're going to see some of the grosser things um, that we as Americans have deemed uh, undigestible trash, right? We, we We discard those things. And in Europe, specifically in the Mediterranean countries, you will experience those things as a delicacy. There's a good chance that you'll go to, you know, if you get invited to dinner or invited to Greek Easter or invited to a wedding, you may be the guest of honor solely because you are American and they may offer you lamb brain or goat tongue or whatever it is. And culturally, it's your job to try it. But I will say that it speaks volumes about you if you don't and volumes about them for offering. So you need to keep those things in mind as you're traveling. You need to know that most of your budget will go towards food because inherently we want to try everything. I think if you are a true traveler of food, you want to try this restaurant or you want to try that restaurant or this smell and and if someone offers it to you, you want to taste it and you go into a store and you don't recognize anything. So the easiest way to solve that issue is to try it all. Well, that will cost you a fortune if you are constantly converting your dollars to euros to try those things. So just know that the grocery store, supermarkets, open air markets are your best bang for your value and your children can help you try new things and thus you can help spread potentially their taste bud array, so to speak, um, in the hopes that they get a little less picky and are able to find snacks that are more portable for your days out. And hopefully you'll figure out a nice little balance before you move to a different country or your trip ends where you can make meals affordably in a way that isn't breaking the bank and thus you can spend more on experiences. But it's definitely something that needs to be planned out and considered a little bit, especially when traveling with children. Unfortunately, as adults, we can power through and say, okay, I really don't like this, but I'm going to eat this because this is what we're having for lunch, right? This is what we have. Kids don't do that so well. And as such, we we want them to feel full because, of course, if you're going to take them out afterwards, you're going to have a hangry meltdown. So I'm going to leave you with the idea that if you haven't thought about the cost of living and food or your cultural experience and food or your children's experience with food prior to whatever trip you're planning now is the time to do it because it will be a huge factor and it is worth spending more time on. Thank you for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you next week.